All right, take your Bibles this morning and open to Luke 18 as we continue our series on kingdom secrets and looking at what it is to understand the revealed purpose and will of God to live in his kingdom as Christians. This morning we're going to talk about persistent prayer from Luke 18 verses 1 through 18. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've given up on praying for something? You've just said, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm finished praying for this. Let me ask you, why is that? Because I'm sure that we've all given up on praying for something, you know. We give up because we don't think it'll happen. We give up because we just grow weary because it doesn't seem like we're getting the answers that we want. We give up for any number of reasons. You know, in a recent study, the Barna Research Group found that prayer is the most common faith practice among American adults. And so prayer is very popular, very popular. But let me ask you this, how is it that you know your prayers matter? How is it that you know your prayers are heard? I mean, why pray if they're not heard? Why pray if your prayers don't matter, right? Why pray if you don't know if you should keep praying or not? Well, today I want to talk about persistent prayer. And I want to look at why and how we should never give up on praying, on praying. Go with me to Luke 18, 1. And follow along as I read aloud from God's word. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. So the parable begins by introducing a judge in a certain city. And this judge, it says, neither feared God nor respected man. And he acknowledged this. It's not something he was hiding. He openly acknowledged it. We could say that he was an unqualified judge because he was immoral. He did not respect God. And he was unethical. He did not respect people. Therefore, we can conclude that what Jesus is telling us is that he was unfit to hold this position. You see, the judge who denies that they are under authority is unfit to adjudicate. That's who we see in the judge. And the widow, 
She just wanted justice. That's all she wanted was justice against her adversary. Surely, surely justice is not too much to ask from a judge, right? Isn't that the point of a judge to bring justice? She wasn't asking for preferential treatment. She wasn't just asking for a personal desire or want. She wasn't even protesting in the streets or organizing some kind of a sit-in occupation. She didn't have the resources to connect with the movers and shakers who could find the judge at the off-bench hour. She didn't know the right people to get things done. Her cause was not important enough for a news reporter to score a rating off of, right? I mean, she couldn't even find a blogger to write something with flashy ads and clickbait heading to try and get it to go viral. Is that too much? All... She demanded was justice from a judge. Understand this, right? Judge, justice. Typically, those go together. But she could not get her justice. Her only hope was the one thing. She would not quit. She would not shut up. She was persistent. And the parable, Jesus tells us, initially the judge refused her. He just refused her, her justice. You see, when there's no fear of God and no respect for people, it's really not any sweat to refuse what's right. Because it wasn't convenient. But in time, Jesus said, his self-serving motive caused him to finally relent. She bothered him. Remember what he said? She just keeps beating me down. It's hard being a judge, having to give justice. She just keeps beating me down. So finally, Jesus says in the story, he relents. And he gives her, caves to her demand for justice. I find that so ironic, right? You may not agree with the judge's ruling, right? You may not like the way it comes down, but at the very least, every judge should sit and in their, uh, from their bench seek justice in the decisions that they give. And what Jesus is saying in the story he's given us to teach us here is the judge just simply did not want to have to deal with justice. It was an inconvenience. And I find that incredibly ironic. Her persistence, though, caused him to change his mind and to grant her justice. Here's what Jesus shows. He shows that persistence brought justice from an unjust judge. Pretty simple and straightforward, isn't it? I mean, man, she won. She just kept pounding and kept pounding, and she got what she demanded, justice from her adversary. And then Jesus applies the parable. Here's what he says. God is not like the unjust or unrighteous judge. He is righteous and holy. He is loving and compassionate. And Jesus declares that God gives justice speedily, speedily to his people. But then he asks an incredible question. Will the Son of Man, when he returns, find faith on earth? What? What? 
Yeah. Friends, I want you to walk away with this today. Christians persist in prayer and persevere in faithful obedience when we trust Jesus' work for us and in us. Can we back up and walk through this parable and see before our eyes the will and the way and the work of God peeled back, revealed for us that we might understand what it means to live in his eternal kingdom here and now. I want to provide three exhortations to motivate our persistence in prayer today. In all three, I want us to see the why that we should persist in our prayers. And do you know what an exhortation is? We don't use that word a lot today, do we? To exhort one another. You know, an exhortation is pretty simple. It's, it's like an encouragement, but it's stronger than an encouragement. An exhortation strikes at the heart with the aim to move that individual from their heart to action in their life. And that's what I want to provide for you this morning with these three exhortations to help you and to motivate you to persist in your praying to the Lord. The first exhortation that I would provide for you is this. Christians can remain persistent in their prayer because God wills that his children would pray with persistence. It's God's will. Jesus wants you to pray with persistence and to pray in such a way that would not lose heart. That's the first thing Luke tells us in verse 1. The whole purpose that Jesus is telling this parable is that they would pray with persistence and not lose heart in the middle of it. Now, some of you, you have just flat out applied your will at times in your prayer and you have grinded it out, right? You've just gutted it out and you've kept doing it because you committed to the grind of it. But you've not done it with heart. And what Jesus is saying is he wants you to remain faithful in prayerful persistence, but without losing heart. In other words, he wants you to be strengthened in your praying. And every time you come back to him, you come with a greater confidence in him hearing you and a greater confidence that he's working for you and a greater understanding of how it is that he's working these things out even when you don't see it that's why he's taught us this parable you see what Jesus works to effect on us provides our aim for what we work toward in life And when we know that this is what Jesus is working for us on, we can know that this should be the aim of what we work toward in our life. That's what verse 1 tells us. Living in God's will always begins by knowing God's will for your life. Listen, uh, friends. (laughs) Listen, Chris. I have no idea why I said that or started to. Listen, Chris, I'm going to say something to you right now. I'll get to each and every one of you before the service is over. Living in God's will always begins by knowing God's will for your life. Listen, there's not, you you won't know God's will for everything about your life. Every question, every detail. You don't have to be a Christian for very long to know there's some things in life that seem yet still a mystery. But friends, you are never without enough knowledge of God's will and the knowledge that he intends for you to have to obey him at any given time with any given circumstance or situation for your life. 
And that's what Jesus is sharing with us here. We can persist in prayer for this one reason, because God wants us to. And if that's what God wants for us, and he tells us that, that's what God will work and empower within us. Prayer is the primary way for us to commune with God. And we must begin by understanding that God desires continual communion with us. That's why he tells us to persist in praying. The only way to commune consistently with God is to pray persistently to God. Pray without ceasing is God's will for every follower of Jesus. And when we know God's will, we can understand the aim, the purpose, and the direction for all of God's work in our life. Jesus teaches that we can pray persistently because it is God's will for us. And we can recognize that Jesus is working to enable God's will in our life. That's what verse 1 tells us. It is God's will that you pray persistently, and I am working, Jesus says, to that very end for you right now. So what God wants for us, Jesus is working in us to bring about. That's the importance of knowing God's will. We have never to ask God if this is what he wants from us but rather to enter in because he has commanded it, he has instructed it, and he has promised it for us. We can be confident that Jesus is working on it in us. And so, Christian, we start today to understand that all of life in God's kingdom begins here in this communion with him. It is God's will to have an intimate personal relationship of continual communion with you, not distanced, not disconnected, and not a dysfunctional argument with you. What God wills, he works by his power to accomplish. And Jesus works in you so you can live in God's will through constant communion by persistent prayer. That's my first exhortation to you today. But listen, friends, I don't want to leave you there because knowing God's will is not enough for our obedience. It's not enough for our obedience. The second exhortation I want to provide for you today is this, that Christians can remain faithful and persistent in prayer because Jesus is persistently pursuing us for his glory. Listen, friends, don't ever think God gives you a to-do list and sends you off on your own to get it done. There's not an inkling, fractitious moment of your seconds in life when Jesus himself is not working to bring about God's will fully, faithfully, completely, and perfectly in you. When you read this parable, you might be tempted to think, well, the moral of the story is be like the widow. Just keep pounding it away. Amen? Go home and pound away, right? All I have to do is pray harder and I'll get what I ask for. But friends, here's the problem. That's not Jesus' point at all. That's nowhere near his point. The gospel is never defined in terms of what we do to get from God. That's religion. That's religion. The gospel declares what God has done for us in Jesus Christ to get us to him. That's the gospel. When Jesus tells this parable, he directs us to hear the words of the unrighteous judge. But before we look at them, 
Can we hear what they're spoken in response to? Let's understand the voice of the one crying for justice. The widow cries for justice against her adversary. Cries for justice against her adversary. She she feels the wrong in her life and wants it made right. But listen, the law doesn't fix people. The law determined that what the adversary did was wrong and maybe even what some people did because of the adversary's actions were wrong. But just because the law says this is wrong, the law never fixes people. That's why she needed justice. You see, justice isn't some simple formula that's solved on paper, but it is as complex as the very complexities of the human person themselves. It makes right things that can't be erased. It restores what's permanently lost and it reconciles what simply cannot be fixed. It's a very complex, complex demand that she brings. And that persistent voice, friends, demanding justice in your own heart and life is God's very image crying out within you. You see, the Bible tells us that the law of God, the holy and the righteous and the perfect law of God is written on the heart and the soul of every person that's created whose feet hit the ground in this world. And it cries out from within us for justice every time we break it, every time we act unjustly. God's law testifies against us. And every time we commit a sinful act, the word of God says right then the testimony proves us guilty. That widow's prayer is crying out against you every time you break the law of God. And you know it because you feel it deeply within you that though I try as hard as I can, all is not right in me. I am at angst. I am without peace. That voice within crying for justice that just will not relent Christ, something is wrong, something is missing, and it needs to be made right. Augustine, the great theologian of the 300s, said this, that there is a deep void within the soul of every man that will only be filled when it is filled with God himself. And that, friends, is the voice crying out for justice. It's a crushing weight of demand that shows you every failure and it's a burning condemnation that reminds you of every insufficiency in your life. We were created as the apex of God's creation to demonstrate his highest glory. We were not created as everything else that was created. We were created in his image to bear a distinct and a unique glory for him. And when any other glory reflects from our lives, our whole Life is out of purposed order with from its created design. And the widow's cry cries out from within. We were not created to display our own glory. We were not created to display the glory of humanity cumulatively. We were created to display God's glory alone. And this is the voice to which the unrighteous judge responds now hear the words of the unrighteous judge though i neither fear god nor respect man right there's the problem friends he doesn't understand where the problem originates from he surely doesn't understand the complexities of how the problem needs to be addressed yet because this widow keeps bothering me 
I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The unrighteous judge's words really come with absolutely no comfort. I mean, there's there's no comfort whatsoever. And actually, justice is given to bring comfort, but the judge has no intention of delivering them in such a way. But they come with no comfort because they too reveal an echo that is also within our heart's chambers. You see, the judge's selfish satisfaction comforts him, but they will never satisfy the justice of righteousness because it cannot. The cry for justice cannot be satisfied by the unjust heart. And so injustice burns within the one that is demanding it and within the one discomforted by its demand. The widow's cry discomforts, it inconveniences, and it exposes our sinfulness. And the persistent demand for justice in the human heart will not be silenced by us because our unrighteousness is unable to bring justice. But we will pursue to no limit every extreme to try and stop the beating down and the incessant condemnation that burns upon our heads from its demand, just like the judge did. Friends, there are two voices that echo within every human heart. It is our longing for God that cries from the heart, all is not right. And all the while, we will not help ourselves because we cannot help ourselves. But we will do anything to silence the heart's cry, to try and make things right. Hear me, friend, we, you are not the persistent widow. We are the self-consumed, self-centered, unrighteous judge trying to figure out how to satisfy the wants, the desires, the comforts, and the control of my personal kingdom. And Jesus lovingly teaches us that our kingdom is quite honestly not sovereign at all. It's not even sufficient, nor will it ultimately ever be satisfying. Every ruling that we make always comes back to haunt us, either in hardening pride from success or humiliating shame and condemnation from failure. And we can't handle the crushing weight of failure on our heart, and we can't control the glory from success that bloats our mind Within every person, two kingdoms war for the righteousness in the soul. You see, friends, this parable podcasts the war of the heavenlies that rages for the soul of every human. God's image cries out within for divine glory. Satan and sin fights to maintain what it cannot control by promising what it cannot provide, only to silence discomfort of the cry. That's all it aims for. Peace that comes from justice will never be one's experienced reality without trusting in the only one who died for all, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and who by faith can become the atonement for your sin. Hear me, friends, only Jesus has satisfied God's righteous and holy demand, and he's done it once for all, it says throughout the scriptures. Only Jesus paid sin's debt for us. God named the price, and Jesus paid it. 
Only Jesus salves the soul with a balm that perfectly heals all wrong and all self-comfort. Only Jesus satisfies the heart's cry for justice, conquering our adversary in glorious victory and dethroning our self-unrighteous judge with overwhelming love. Only Jesus has done this. Satan is the adversary perpetrating injustice and he's got a mole on the inside, our sinful, unrighteous heart. He's the tempter and the great accuser that brings crushing devastation and burning condemnation upon the heart. God is not the one beating you down as the unrighteous judge's words suppose. Satan is our adversary who seeks to steal from us, to kill us, and to destroy us. But God had another plan. He sent his only son, Jesus, as our advocate. And friends, when the advocate shows up, the adversary doesn't have a prayer. He came to save the world by taking on flesh. Then he laid down his body and he shed his blood for us. He was beaten, bruised, and crushed. Then he was buried so that he might be able to take up his life again and dwell within us by his spirit. Friends, the Bible says that Jesus is given all authority on heaven and on earth to give life in his name with God. We are made alive together with Jesus Christ before God. And he will come again one day to judge the living and to judge the dead. Jesus, friends, is the atoning sacrifice for sin who makes all things right. The cross of Jesus Christ is where the adversary's injustice meets the gavel of our advocate's just rule. And his ruling is final because he said, it is finished. Jesus is nothing like the unrighteous judge. He tells us to persist in prayer because if an unrighteous judge will relent, think about this, think about how much more a loving heavenly father will lavish his love upon us. The father answered every prayer and met every need in his only son, Jesus. Jesus perfectly obeyed the father and compassionately loved people. He has a very unique vantage point of each of our requests. He sees them with perfect clarity and with perfect understanding. You see, when we persist in prayer, we trust in God. That in God's come near accomplished work through Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. And the way that we approach God in prayer is determined by what it is that we believe about him. If we believe he is like the unrighteous judge, then we'll believe we're working against him. But if we see him for who he is, the holy and righteous, loving and compassionate heavy, heavenly father, we will run to him. And when it is that we forget God's character, we lose faith in his will for us, his work in us, and his way about answering our requests. But listen, friends, when we remember God's character, that he loves us, that he is for us. We will persist in prayer, confident that he is with us and will answer us because he's already acted once and for all for us in Jesus Christ. Listen, friends, here's what this means. Jesus is never bothered when you come to him 
but he stands ready to receive you. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that when one soul is saved, all of heaven breaks out into crazy party mode. That's what it tells us. We've got them spinning this morning. That little levity there, lighten a moment. But see, you... There's something in you that's lying to you and trying to deceive you to make you think that, that really in the back of God's mind, he's more like that unrighteous judge than the loving Heavenly Father that he really is. And if you don't address that and you don't deal with that, you might at the very least come to him acting like you're an inconvenience to him. And friends, when we act like we're an inconvenience to Jesus, all we're really saying is, I'm not sure I can trust your word and what you've told me to do. No, Hebrews tells us That because of the blood of Jesus, we come to the throne of God with boldness and with confidence. Not in ourselves, but in the blood that was shed for us. Friends, Jesus is never overwhelmed or inconvenienced. He's never put off. He is never bothered by you. That's the God that we serve. He commands us to be relentless in our requests to him because he is relentless to answer and reveal himself in greater ways to us. When we make requests to God, he answers with his surpassing and satisfying peace, not his hesitant comfort to get rid of us. Jesus always rules with justice and righteousness. And the practice of, or listen friends, the fact that you pray is not the point. There is quite frankly very little comfort to know that 90 something percent of American adults practice prayer. Because prayer that's aimed at the wrong one is as useless as no prayer that is practiced at all. We lose heart and we stop praying when we are deceived to believe the wrong things about God. And Satan and sin lie to deceive us to think that Jesus is like the unrighteous judge. But Christians can persist in prayer because Jesus doesn't get rid of us but pursues us to bring his divine righteousness, his divine justice, and his divine glory to bear. Not only upon our life but within our life. The third exhortation that I provide for you today is that Christians can remain persistent in prayer because Jesus' power fills us to remain faithful for his glory until he returns. I I, I tell you, you know, I understand this whole parable until I get to the last sentence. And I believe the last sentence of this parable turns the whole thing. Not away from what he's already said. I mean, I don't believe that at all. But I do believe it drives it home for us to understand the real gist of why we can pray persistently. Because here's what we've seen. We can pray persistently because we know it's God's will for us. We can pray persistently and what God wants, he's going to work out in us, right? We can pray persistently because Jesus is working out that plan within us as we do. He's already done it once for all on the cross And by his spirit, he's continuing to work out the gospel within us. But this third one, when we see that his power fills us to remain faithful for his glory until he returns, comes to bear in this last, he says this. He says, but when the Son of Man returns, will he find any faith on earth? Listen, friends, hear me. The purpose 
of persistent prayer is not faithfulness to religious ritual, but strength for faithful living. That's why. That's why. Jesus is our coming king who will return to bring justice to all things. He will right everyone. Listen to me. Listen to me. This no human judge can do. Not even in the courtrooms of America can the judges of our country do what Jesus will do when he comes again. They can exact justice, but justice in human terms cannot undo, redo, or reclaim the past. And here's what Jesus will do. He will right every wrong. He will heal every wound. He will dry every tear and he will turn every sorrow to joy. Friends, when we know who Jesus is and we know what he's done and we hold to the promise that he will one day perfectly complete all of it, nothing fuels the heat of our prayers like the flame of our eternal hope. When we remember that the one who teaches us to persist in prayer is our eternal hope. It emboldens us with strength and with courage to pray with greater fervency. For the Christian's perseverance in prayer is fueled by the hope in our returning king who empowers us to persevere in faithful obedience every day of our life. Have you ever noticed how when your prayer life weakens, your strength to obey begins to wane? You ever notice that? When you say, man, I just don't know if what I hear you saying in your word, God, is what I need to be doing today. And what happens is little by little, we begin to cheat those moments before the throne of God in prayer, and we begin to feel slighted in our strength to walk in obedience. And there's a reason. You see, the best way to get sidetracked in godly living is to cease persistent praying. Nothing empowers perseverance and obedience like persistence in prayerfulness. Prayer serves as the wind that blows into the sail of our life to move us against the current of worldliness on the course of holy living. Friends, this parable deals with all of life because you live by the way you pray. You live by the way you pray. As your prayer life goes, so goes your life. You can live weeks without food, days without water, but you've only got seconds without air. And Jesus wants you to persist in praying because he wants you to persevere in living. Your living will never outdo your praying. A Christian's life is only as strong as their prayer life, never more, never less. And the Christian life is never more faithless than when our prayers fall silent. But do not think, Christian, that this is where you only do for God either. Please do not think that. God is the one working in us to bring faithfulness through our lives. You see, Jesus tells us to persist in prayer because God's work for us is working in us. Listen to me. What God is doing in you is bigger and better for you than what you're asking from him. You see, you bring a request from your understanding. God answers it from his. 
you bring a request from your strength, no matter how fleeting it might be, no matter how compounded it may seem. But when God answers it, the Bible says he brings all the resources that are his to bear upon it, to pour them out upon you. God always comes through with more glory. Jesus tells you not to lose heart, but stay persistent in prayer because he wants you to walk in faithful obedience that he and he alone is your sustaining strength. And prayer is our most regular practice of working out our salvation each and every day of our life. When we pray, we can be sure of this, that God hears and God is working. Christians persist in prayer by faith because we trust that the perfect work of the Heavenly Father will come to full redemption as we walk by obedience. Listen, friends, I'll conclude with this. Prayer is not about the eloquence of your words. Prayer is not about the passion or the intensity of your emotion. Prayer is about communion with a holy God who has made a way to bring us near. You can persist in prayer because Jesus is always faithful. Jesus silences the, man, the demand for justice by becoming our justifier. He destroys our adversary by becoming our advocate. He resolves our guilt by adjudicating holy justice for life through divine love and giving his own life. And he is working out his righteousness within us that he has placed upon us to transform us into his redeemed image. Friends, Jesus transforms the courtroom of our divine criminal proceeding into the judge's chambers that seals our adoption. God waits to welcome you this morning, friends, as a loving Heavenly Father that you couldn't imagine and without Jesus you've never known. But you don't have to live a moment without it if you remain in persistent prayer. Christians persist in prayer and persevere in faithful obedience when we trust Jesus' work for us and in us. Let's pray.